All right, how is everyone doing? Good. We are ready for our much-awaited Old Testament book. We will be going through the book of Obadiah um, for the foreseeable future. Which is somewhat of a pun, you know, because the prophets, you know, foreseeing things, yeah. All right. Try to hang with me here. Um, hey, I do just want to echo what Justice is saying because we got a lot of awesome stuff that's going on at Liberty. Totally invite you to become a part of it. We'll have life groups starting up in mm, probably about seven or eight weeks. So those are coming up. Um, we've been having um, an awesome time prepping for the VBS that we'll be doing at Link, and I'm excited to be able to get back um, and partner with Link in doing a VBS out at their property. Link stands for Love in the Name of Christ. And it is a uh, nonprofit organization that um, helps people in the St. Charles County area. So we've partnered with them, we support them, and uh, it'll be very awesome to uh, be back working hand in hand with them once again. Uh, let's see, let's turn to the, to the book of Obadiah. We're going to read all 21 verses today, and we might do that a couple times. We'll definitely do it today. Starting off, it says, The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. 
They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem Haran Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Let's pray. Father, bless us as we look into this book that's from you, the book of Obadiah. Give us wisdom and insight to understand what it says and what you're saying to us today. Give us insight and understanding to apply it to our lives, to learn about you and who you are, and to learn about ourselves and who we are, God. We want to be in right relationship with you, so help us to do that. We thank you it's possible by the shed blood of your son Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. You are the one who regenerates our soul, who gives us life. We thank you for that. Bless our time now as we look into your word. We thank you for who you are, for loving us. We thank you for the time of worship. You are such a good, good God. We thank you. Amen. So we have 21 verses here that make up the smallest book in the Old Testament. And when we think about um, a prophet's role in general, we have what's called the minor prophets and the major prophets. Do you know why they're called the minor prophets? Because it's just, they're shorter books. Yep. So, just shorter books. Um, the, the other prophets have longer books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. So, we're looking at what's called a minor prophet, basically just because his book is so short. Think about, for a second, though, a prophet's role when it comes to coming to God's people and approaching them with the Word of God. He had a few roles. One was to make known the holiness of God and the covenant obligations that Israel had. Make known the holiness of God and the covenant obligations Israel had. Two, call out sin. Denounce injustice, idolatry, empty ritualism, all sorts of sin called out. Three, call the people back to God. We have a word for that. What's it called? Repentance. All right, call the people back to God, calling them to come back, repent, and get right with him. And then fourth, warn of judgment. Warn of judgment. Here's the thing, and you know some of these things, but they bear repeating as we look at this book. When we talk about prophets in the Old Testament, remember that they spoke God's words, not their own. So this is why you're going to see throughout Obadiah and other books in the Old Testament phrases like, 
thus says the Lord. Or a phrase like, thus declares the Lord. It is uh, about four times in Obadiah. Repeatedly, the idea is made clear that it is ultimately God's words. It's God's words, not the prophet's. What's the penalty in the Old Testament for falsely speaking in God's name? Death. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verse 20, Deuteronomy 18, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Over and over, the prophets are warned to be careful about the words they speak, to make sure they are God's words and only God's words. This is also why when you come to the New Testament, you get a verse like James Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Let not many of you become teachers. Well, why is that? For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. If we're going to stand up in some, any type of authoritative position, including the one that I'm in right now, and proclaim God's truth, it better be God's truth and only God's truth. That needs to be crystal clear to anyone listening. We need to be very careful. Why? Because of this very verse, God will judge with greater strictness the teachers, including the pastors, all right? I will be judged with greater strictness. Why? Because I'm in a position proclaiming what God's word says, and I better make sure it is what God's word says and not just what I want it to say, right? The same is true for any of us. We have to make sure that whatever we want God's word to say, that's not really what matters. What does it actually say? What does it actually say? That's what matters. So whenever we might be talking with one of our friends, we need to be very careful if we uh, utter the words, the Lord told me. Because if the Lord didn't tell you, guess what? That's not good. Because you're claiming to speak for God, and that's not God. If you're claiming something that he has not said or told you, you are claiming something that is false. So anyone who says the Lord told me when the Lord didn't tell them, they're going to be judged for uttering a false word. Now in our house, especially when our kids were younger, um, Sometimes, you know, one of, the, one of our kids might, uh, would go to the other kid and be like, well, mom told you to do this, or dad told you to do this. What would happen if we found out that mom or dad hadn't told them to do that? Like, that was a serious offense, right? Why? Because they're abusing an authority that is not theirs to abuse. They are claiming the word to speak on behalf of a higher authority. So when that happened in our house, 
Um, it was not a fun time for the person that broke that commandment there. Speaking, when we speak in a position of authority, we better make sure we have the, that authority to speak, and we better make sure that we speak the truth from that authority. So the Old Testament, I mean, it had false prophets. If you think of Jeremiah, I mean, he's dealing with false prophets throughout the book. It's, it's, there's narrative, but there's also um, the poetry when he's talking about the destruction coming upon Jerusalem and the southern kingdom. But over and over again, he's dealing with different false prophets. It's interesting because there's, there's one part in Jeremiah where basically the king who doesn't like Jeremiah is like, okay, fine, let's just call the one that we actually know is going to tell us the truth, even though we don't want to hear it. So he'd already been thrown in the cistern, basically left to die, and they drag him up out of the cistern, and they're like, okay, tell us, we want to hear it, right? What does he tell them? Well, he tells them the truth, which is what they didn't want to hear. So the Old Testament had false prophets. The New Testament had false prophets. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it says, But false prophets, 2 Peter 2, verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. I mean, where did these false prophets arise? In the midst of the church. Right there in their midst. So we shouldn't be surprised when we have false prophets among us today, when they arise among us. Are there false prophets inside the church today? Yes. Where? All over the place. And what are they saying? Think about this for a minute. What do false prophets normally prophesy? What do they normally say? The things that people want to hear. Right? Our itching ears. Oh, we just want, we want people to prophesy good things. We want them to teach good things. We want them to teach things that are just going to make us just feel good. We don't want those cold, hard truths. No. So they, they teach the sugar water stuff. The challenge when it comes to a false prophet is they're not just going to completely teach falseness 100% of the time. There's, there's going to be truth mixed in with the falseness. That's what makes it challenging at times to recognize false teachers and false prophets. But why are people tempted to listen? Because the false prophets say what the people want to hear. So we come back to the Old Testament book, Obadiah. There's 13 men in the Old Testament with this name. Now, most of the prophets um, <clears throat> that we have that wrote books in the Old Testament, they begin with the writer telling us uh, something about themselves. So usually we get the prophet's place of origin or his father's name or his occupation. We get some sort of, of date setting because he mentioned the kings of the time in which he served. So in Amos, the very first verses, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa. So, you know, we learn that. Amos was a shepherd, right? 
Joel 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Right? So we, we find out who his dad is. Micah 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. All right, so we get the setting, boom, right there for us. When we come to the book of Obadiah, what do we get in verse 1? The vision of Obadiah. So we don't get much information given to us. But here's what we do get. We get specifically right there in the very first verse who it's addressed to. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Now, who is Edom? Well, we're going to look at that in a moment. Think about Israel's enemies, though. When we think about the three great powers in the Old Testament, you have basically the Egyptians, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. Those would be considered like the three great powers. Um, often uh, actual or sometimes potential enemies of Israel. Then you had smaller, we might call them like neighboring states. You had Aram, uh, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Phoenicia, and Edom. Okay, but they were smaller. And again, um, sometimes allies, but sometimes enemies. Apart from Egypt, Assyria, and, and Babylon, the major powers, Edom receives the most oracles, the most discourses against it in the prophets. So why the prophecy here and other places against Edom? Well, let's, let's trace the history just, just a little bit. Uh, where does this country come from? Well, Isaac and Rebekah have two children. What are their names? Jacob and Esau. Was it a good relationship? No. It was a contentious relationship. Look at Genesis chapter 25. This is the story of when Esau sells his birthright. Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And then some of your versions probably say Edom sounds like the Hebrew word. In the footnotes it says it sounds like the Hebrew word for red. So what, what happens? Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So that's where the name comes from, Edom. So the Edomites come from Esau, also at times called Edom. If we see this again in Genesis 36, in two places. Genesis 36, these are the generations of Esau. And then in parentheses, what does it say? That is Edom. 
A few verses later, verse 8, So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. So these, these twin brothers are banging heads the whole time, right? They finally separate. One goes one way, one goes the other. And about 400 years goes by. And we don't hear a word about Esau or his descendants. Until we get to the crossing of the Red Sea, God destroys the Egyptians, the army coming after him, and then Moses in his song in Exodus 15 says, Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. We get this one little line, 400 years goes by, nothing said about them. And so, so they're there, there's nothing, Scripture hasn't recorded it, until Moses writes that. So they end up crossing, Moses is singing the song, they're having a party, mentions Edom. Then Israel's wandering around in the wilderness, right? And what happens? They come up to the edge of the land of Edom. Look at Numbers chapter 20. Numbers 20, verse 14. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel. Did, did you catch that? Brother, right? Like, like Moses knows it, the Israelites know it, and, and he knows that, that the king of Edom and all the Edomites know it. Hey, there's a, there's a blood relation here. Thus says your brother Israel. You know all the hardship that we have met. How our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through, lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and a strong force. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. So, I mean, hundreds of years later, there's still enmity. We won't look at it, but King David ends up defeating the Edomites and, and puts them under control. Um, at one point, he wipes out a large number of them. Uh, for about 150 years, they still are there until they are able to basically gain their independence uh, from Judah and reestablish themselves um, in their original homeland. Well, what's specifically being addressed in Obadiah? I mean, here's what it boils down to. Israel is attacked 
by a foreign power. This foreign power is not Edom. So they're attacked by a foreign power that's not Edom. But what we see is that Edom abandoned Israel in his time of need. So some foreign power, and we'll look at it in the weeks to come of, of, of who it was, is attacking Israel, and Edom just stands by and watches and doesn't come to their rescue. But not only that, Edom helps Israel's enemies out. And why is this so awful? Because they're basically, you know, Longlock's brothers, so to speak. These two countries are related to one another. I mean, think about it. It'd be like the U.S. being attacked and we're getting slaughtered and Britain stands by and does nothing to help. And not only do they do nothing, they actually help the country attacking us. Selling them more planes, ammunitions, rockets, maybe even giving them soldiers. Anyone who flees to Great Britain gets ended up turned over to the enemy. That wouldn't go so well for us, would it? We wouldn't be too happy. And here's the thing. A short book like this can, can make context a little bit challenging. But let me tell you all, like God has gifted some, some men and women with just amazing knowledge and wisdom. And some men, scholars have literally devoted their lives to the study of just like a handful of books in the Old Testament or a handful of books in the New Testament. And literally probably have read every book written out there on that particular book of the Bible. In all the different languages written. Like they have drilled down to the farthest depths they could possibly reach. And then what do they do? They mine out all the good stuff and put it in a presentable form so that other people who can understand what they're saying can glean from it, be enriched by it, and then pass it on and enrich others. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I was sitting at the dining room table last night reading one commentary, <clears throat> and, I, and Andrea had just walked in, and I was just like, Andrea, I'm, I'm like, this is, this is just crazy, like what this author has, has done and, and, and discovered in the book of Obadiah, but the only way he was able to do that is it got to the point where he was literally looking at the words in Obadiah and the actual syllables and then the stress accent marks that is what we would call them, in, in, in Obadiah. Now, now, I personally, I don't have time to do that. But that, isn't it great that God has gifted men who, who have the ability to do that and have taken the time to do it? Because he noticed a pattern that is very key in understanding how Obadiah is laid out. And I, I mean, I, I was just like blown away. So I'm just going to read you, just so you get a little taste of the level that these guys are talking about, just on something as simple as syllabuses. Or syllabi is probably the right word. Or syllables. Syllables is what I meant. Okay, here it goes. <clears throat> He's, this is what one author said. Given the uncertainties involved in determining stresses, the syllable count serves as an important check. I follow the Tiberian vocalization of the Masoretic text, although with certain minor modifications that reflect a pre-Masoretic pronunciation. Thus I treat segalits as monosyllabic, I do not count a furtative padditch or a half vowel that substitutes for the word that would ordinarily be a silent vowel. 
but a half file that substitutes for what would ordinarily be a vocal schwa is counted. All right? Probably didn't make sense to most of you. <clears throat> but he's on to something. <laughs> God has greatly blessed his church with gifts. And what are we supposed to do with the spiritual gifts? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift that the Lord has blessed you with. At least one. What are we supposed to do with it? Use it in the service of the kingdom. We're supposed to use it to glorify God, to serve his kingdom, to bless other brothers and sisters in Christ, and to call the nations to repentance. That's really why we're given gifts, all right? Not just to bless our own little selves. No, to be a blessing to others. The name Obadiah, it means servant of Yahweh. You could translate it worshiper of Yahweh as well, but it means servant of Yahweh. The Obed is, is Hebrew for servant. The Yah would be short for Yahweh. So Obed, Ayah, Yah. You can kind of hear the Yah in there for Yahweh. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Like Obadiah, that should be all of our names. Is we're all servants of Yahweh. We want to be serving him in whatever way he lays out for us. We want to be a servant of Yahweh, plain and simple. God gave Obadiah a task. He fulfilled it. God gives us a task. We should fulfill it. Our theme has been run the race. And that's what we need to be doing. Run, running the race as servants of Yahweh. Whatever task is given to us, that's the task put before us. That's the task we do. Living the Christian life, walking with Jesus. Part of that means walking in service to him and to others. How do we run that race? Through service. And here's the thing. Are we salt? Yeah, I mean, is there a problem here? <laughs> Are we salt? Yes. Are we light? Yes. Listen, the light should never be afraid to be the light. The light should never be afraid to be the light. And the light should never be afraid to shine in the darkness. I worked for uh, Praying Pelican Missions um, for a few years, leading other churches on their mission trips. And actually about uh, almost 10 years to the day. Back in 2012 of July, uh, one couple, Dan and, and Corey Eubanks, um, came with their church, and, and I led their church. Uh, Dan was a, a youth pastor. I led their church on a mission trip down in Belize. Um, I hadn't heard from them in, in, in years, maybe like five years. Well, the other day, Corey was catching me up on what had, had been going on with them, and I knew, I knew Dan uh, had gone into politics. Um, he became a state rep in Mississippi. So he's working in the House of Representatives in Mississippi, and um, she told me that he co-authored co uh, a bill called the Gestational Age Act. It's a, if you actually read it, I went and re read parts of it. It's actually really well-written. And here's kind of the summation at the end. It says, It is the intent of the legislature through this section and any regulations and policies promulgated hereunder 
to restrict the practice of non-therapeutic or elective abortion to the period up to the 15th week of gestation. Basically, outlawing abortions 15 weeks and beyond. Now, none of us have ever heard the gestational age act, but we have heard of the law that recently was before the Supreme Court regarding the Dobbs case that the Supreme Court struck down along with Roe v. Wade. This man, Dan Eubanks, is the one who co-authored that Dobbs bill. The Gestational Age Act is the one that went from him and the legislature in Mississippi all the way up to the Supreme Court and gave them cause to strike down Roe v. Wade. Now think about that for a minute. Did Dan really think, like, this bill is going to be the one that takes down Roe v. Wade? Like, how many bills had been written by many states? I mean, think about it. He probably didn't even know if it would get passed by his own House of Representatives in the state of Mississippi. Many bills get written and don't even get passed by the own the House or the Senate that they're written in. So he wasn't even sure if it might even get passed by the House, let alone then go to the Senate, let alone then get signed by the governor of Mississippi, and then it had to stand the challenges of the court. So did he know? No. But what was he doing? Faithfully serving his God in the role that God wanted him. He was being an Obadiah. That's where God placed him. What does he do? He impacts his sphere of influence to the best of his ability. He's an Obadiah right there in the state of Mississippi. And look what God did with his efforts. The light should never be afraid to be the light. And the light should never be afraid of the darkness. Brothers and sisters, we don't know the impact of our service to the Lord, not on this side of heaven, not fully. You might set in motion a tidal wave of righteousness that changes families and cities and states and even nations forever. I mean, think big. Do any of you know the following names? Isaac Milner, Edward Kimball, Robert Eagland, Mordecai Ham. Well, you probably don't. Isaac Milner, he's the one who led William Wilberforce to the Lord. William Wilberforce, as you probably know, was the key person to abolishing slavery in England. So you hear a lot about William Wilberforce. What about Isaac Milner? Edward Kimball led Dwight Moody to the Lord. Dwight Moody, the greatest 19th century evangelist in America. Robert Eaglin led Charles Spurgeon to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. Mordecai Ham led Billy Graham to the Lord, the greatest 20th century evangelist. Brothers and sisters, we, we just don't know the impact that we might have, that we could have, and that we will have. We have to trust the Lord with the fruit of our efforts. What does he want us to do? To be the Obadiah a servant of Yahweh. It's hard to fight the good fight, yet we have to fight it.
It's hard to go toe-to-toe with the enemy, yet that's what we're called to do. Go into the darkness and shine the light. We are always, always, always servants of Yahweh. You know, Michael Porch, we had uh, a little retirement party for him yesterday. He's retiring, but he's not retiring, right? Going from one field of service, and he's going to keep serving the Lord in whatever field the Lord might call him to serve. That should be our attitude. There's another retired dad uh, I heard about recently getting ready to help out um, SCCHE. You know, retirement, it, does, it, it doesn't mean hit the beach. I mean, it means we're shifting service from one area to another. It means different ministry opportunities. Why? Because we are always Obadiah. We're always a servant of Yahweh. And that's the end to which we work. Whatever it is, whatever field that the Lord wants us in, wherever he calls us, we want to be faithful Obadiahs in those areas. And yes, all of us are going to be given actually like almost like multiple spheres. We're going to have a family sphere, a state sphere, a, a sphere with our neighbors, a sphere with our work. But God gives each of us spheres that he doesn't give to others of us. Y'all are in spheres that I'll never be in. Never be in. Why? Because God wants you in that sphere. If you wanted the person next to you or in front of you, they'd be there, but they're not. God's entrusted you with that sphere to make the impact that he wants you to make. And in that sphere, you're supposed to be the Obadiah, the servant of Yahweh. How do we do this? Through much, much, much reliance upon Jesus to help us each step of the way. Dan got much, much put. You wouldn't think maybe in Mississippi there'd be much pushback, but he got much, much pushback. And I've, I'm, <clears throat> I follow his Facebook page. All sorts of nasty stuff said to him on all sorts of different topics. He's taken a stand for the Lord and the sphere that God has given him. If you're going to stand for truth and righteousness, you will be an enemy of Satan. He will come after you. He will lock his sights on you and do what he can to knock you down. That's why over and over again in Ephesians 6, when it's talking about the armor of God, what are we told to do? Stand firm. A couple verses go by. Stand firm. A couple verses go by. Stand firm. I mean, what's the idea? Why do we got to stand firm? Because we will be pushed and pushed and pushed to the point of potentially being knocked over. So we must stand firm. Taking a stand for the righteousness of God is not easy to do. But we are called to be bearers of the truth. We are called to stand for the truth and to use the giftings that God has given us to spread his light, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be salt and light in this world. So that is what we do. We go forth as Obadiahs wherever God plants us to serve him with the giftings he's given us. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be the Obadiah. We want to be the servant of Yahweh, the servant of you. Lord, you've tasked for us different things to do, and let us be faithful to take the task that you set before us 
and do them. To use the giftings that you've given to glorify you, to further your kingdom, and to build up the kingdom. Lord, help us to be faithful Obadiahs. Faithful to you. Faithful to our Savior Jesus. That we might stand firm in the day of testing. Knowing that you stand with us. That you go before us and you pave the way. We can be faithful because we serve a faithful God who is with us in the darkness. He's with us when the storms come. He is ever faithful, and you are that God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. Amen.